Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and open together, please, to Genesis chapter number 21. We continue studying through the life of, of Abraham, and I trust that your heart has been helped and encouraged by the truth we've discovered from Abraham's life. He's one of the key or prominent figures in God's Word. We see him as a great example for which we can follow. We're thankful for, for the Lord and uh, just the testimony that, that Abraham had. And I'm encouraged because Abraham is no different than me. And, you know, you and I, of course, God uh, chose Abraham and his wife Sarah. They were chosen vessels to, uh, to accomplish his work and bring about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world generations later. But at the core of Abraham, he was, he was just like you and me. He was a man of, of like passions. And, you know, sometimes we elevate people more than we ought to. And we're not by any means worshiping Abraham, but we are learning lessons from his life. And I'm thankful that God has recorded these things for us in the pages of his word, these truths that we can draw from and learn to, to live victoriously by faith in Jesus Christ. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read together here in, in Genesis chapter number 21, beginning in verse number 22. Notice what the Word of God says, beginning in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 21. The Bible says, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me, Hereby, God, that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it, but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham sat uh, seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up and Phicol the captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. Father, we're thankful for thy word this morning. Father, we've read it. We understand its truth. Lord, every word of God is true. And Lord, this morning our, our prayer is that you would bring our hearts into agreement, into alignment with thy word, that you'd cause your people to walk in truth today, and, and that you'd help us live victorious lives. Lord, from this passage of Scripture, we pray that you'd help us uh, take lessons and apply them to our lives. And Lord, that we would learn today how we can best live in this world. But God, we pray that you would do a work in each of our hearts. Father, that you would help us. 
And again, Lord, if there's someone here today who does not know Christ as their Savior, Father, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And Father, we pray for revival today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Word of God says in Genesis chapter 21, in verse number 34. The Bible says, Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. He sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. I want you to hold your place here and look with me, if you would, to the New Testament book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter number 11, we know that Abraham was a sojourner. And like Abraham, we too are sojourners. This world is not our home. So oftentimes we live as if we are citizens of this world, but we're not. We ought not be living for this world. We ought to be living for eternity. And this is the example that Abraham set for us. He was a man who by faith looked to Christ and lived for eternity. The Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter number 11, in verse number 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went, and by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, and through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even, dead, uh, uh, even of one and him as good as dead, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. The Bible says that they, they did these things by faith. In verse number 1 of Hebrews 11, the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If we could simply define faith, we would do so using what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. Look there again. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says, Looking unto Jesus. Would you mark that statement in your Bible? This is how you and I are to live our lives. We are to live our lives by faith. We are to live our lives looking unto Jesus. What other option do we have? Well, we can live a life by force. We can live a prideful, self-centered life. We can live a life like the men did who were meeting with Abraham back there in Genesis chapter 21. Look there again. Turn to Genesis chapter 21. We see these two men, Abimelech, who is no stranger. Abimelech had already had an encounter with Abraham, if you recall. Uh, Abraham came and dwelled in Gerar, and, and Abimelech looked out, and he saw Abraham's wife, and she is a beautiful lady, and and he took her to come and, and live with him in his home. And God cursed the man. He said, you're a dead man because you've done this thing. And Abimelech said, hold on, Lord. Uh, uh, what have I done? I've, I've done this in the integrity of my heart. And, and I meant no wrong. And God said, well, she's a man's wife. He says, you return the lady back to Abraham or you're dead. And there was a curse that God had placed upon the home of Abimelech, all of, all of his servants, no, no one was able, no lady was able to conceive a child. 
the, he was, the Lord was going to annihilate Abimelech's uh, family from the world. But he wised up and returned Sarah back to Abraham. And, and the Bible says that he allowed Abraham to go and dwell in his land. What land was this? This is the land of the Philistines. The Philistines are a notorious people, are they not? They would, they would come to be uh, the notorious enemy of the nation of Israel, Abraham's family, generations to come. They were a strong people. They were a proud people. They had a, 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 a great, mighty military force. They lived in, in stronghold cities. And from their, uh, their family, from the line of the Philistines, there was a man by the name of Goliath. That David would, this young teenage boy with a sling and a stone, would, would kill on the battlefield, crying, is there not a cause? But you and I, as I think Abraham dwelled, he sojourned in the Philistines' land. You know, you and I, we dwell, we sojourn in this world, don't we? How can we, how are we to live in this world? We think about the, the interaction that Abimelech had, the king of the Philistines, and he brought the captain of his host, Phicol, to him. And they were, they did not come to, to Abraham seeking Abraham's betterment. They came to Abraham with selfish intentions. They were self-centered. They were self-seeking. They, they didn't care about Abraham. The only thing they cared about was self-preservation. They looked out, and in chapters before this, we see the record where, where Abraham had gone out and, and uh, conquered the king of Chedorlaomer, and how the, even the king of Sodom bowed at, at Abraham's feet and, and, and promised him all kinds of, of reward that Abraham refused. Blessed the king of Sodom would say that he had made Abraham rich. But Abraham was not someone to be trifled with. He was an able man. He too had an able military force. He had already proven himself. And God had blessed him. And Abimelech came and thinking, man, I got to do something, otherwise I'm toast. So he came and had this meeting with Abraham there as he dwelled in the land of the Philistines. You know, we learned this morning of how you and I are to live in this world. First off, as we mentioned, we're not, we're not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. If you have repented of your sin and by faith have accepted Christ as your Savior, you are not living, and you are not to live for this world. Don't put your roots down too deeply. Do you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ can come and return at any moment? There's not one piece of Bible prophecy that requires fulfillment before Christ can return. We believe in the imminent return of our Savior. Jesus, even so, come quickly. Before this service is over, before you take your next breath, Christ could return. We anticipate these things. Let not your heart be troubled. 
Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I'm thankful for the promise of God. I'm thankful that you and I have hope for eternity. Our hope is not rooted in our intellect. It's not rooted in our creativity. It's not rooted. It's not found in our physical strength or aptitude. Our hope is found only in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, you and I, we live in a sin-cursed world. Look what the Bible says in the New Testament book of, of 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy, you and I, of course, we, we're privy to a lot of the things that are taking place in the world today. The Bible tells us, we're warned, saying, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Bible says in, in, uh, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse number 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. The world is not becoming a better and better place, contrary to what people will tell you. There is a law that cannot be, uh, that cannot be denied. I like how scientists claim that they can, they can correct things, but then they deny the very laws of science themselves. The laws of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, that everything is falling apart. Everything moves from order to disorder. The world is not getting to be a better place. It's growing worse and worse. Perilous times shall come. There will, there will be a utopia one day, but that's when Jesus comes and sits upon his throne for a thousand years. He is the only one that can right the curse. He's the only one that can take that which we have bent up and misshapen and made crooked straight again. And man, there's a big mess that he needs to straighten out, isn't there? We're just muddying the waters even more, aren't we? But the Bible says, in verse 2, it says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the Bible gives us command there at the end of verse 5, saying, from such turn away. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our, our treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You know, I don't want to feel at home here. I don't want to be partakers of other men's sins. I don't want my life to become marred by the cares of this life. But if we're not careful, may I tell you, it's in all of us to fall. It's in all of us to fail. He that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Even the best of men are men at best. But it's by God's grace that we can live in this life. You and I, we cannot live for Christ alone. He says in John chapter 15, I apologize to my Sunday school class if I'm a bit redundant this morning. They say that repetition is the key to learning. But without him, without Christ, we can do nothing. 
We must learn to live in reliance upon Christ, mustn't we? How do you live a victorious Christian life when, when the world does not want what's best for you? Know that God does. I want you to hold your place and look with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. In chapter number 29, Jeremiah chapter 29, the prophet speaks to the children of Israel, or the children of Judah and Jerusalem. Israel had already been taken into captivity. Uh, they had already fallen because of their sin. Judah is now on the, on the cusp of captivity. Some of their uh, elites had already been hauled away by the Babylonians. But Jeremiah, by the word of God, tells the people that God does all of these things for a reason. You know, what even we can see from the life of Joseph, what some intended for evil, God intends for good. The Bible says in, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. What is the great treasure of hardship? What is the great treasure of living in a sin-cursed world? It's not the world, it's the Lord. When hardship comes, the greatest treasure you can unearth is Christ. When, when difficulty comes, the greatest thing you can discover is that God is able you and I are unable, but God is able. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul writes, he tells us that, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Some of us think, well, I can, I can think and ask of a whole lot. Well, the Lord is infinitely more than that. How do we live victoriously in this world? Are you tired of being defeated? by the Abimelechs of life? Are you tired of being taken advantage of by the Ficoles of the world? Well, there is some lessons we can learn as we too sojourn in this world. Just as Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days, you and I, we don't know how long we're going to be here, but while we live here, we ought to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We ought to learn to live a life that truly honors and glorify as Christ, does your life honor the Lord? As a child of God, how you're living, what, what, how, what, you, what you do, how you behave, what you say, what you think, does it honor the Lord? Well, how can we live lives that honor Christ? Notice the first lesson we learned this morning from the habit of writing these things down. We find back in Genesis chapter number 21. Turn there with me if you would please. Back to Genesis 21. And we learn that a victorious Christian, one who's living their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, continues in their integrity. Continues in their integrity. Integrity is a big word, isn't it? There are, you, can, you can consort many dictionaries and you many people and find many different definitions of what integrity is. But look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 21. Again, in verse 22, the Bible says, and it came to pass 
at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. I pray that in my life, it's evident that I'm walking with God. We know that Abraham was not perfect. Prior to Isaac, his life was like a teeter-totter. He had his ups, he had his downs, didn't he? He lived in victory, he lived with great defeat. He honored God and he denied the Lord. He, he lived in truth, but he told lies. But as Abimelech looks now, he sees that God is, has blessed Abraham. And he says, he goes on in verse number 23, he says, Now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, that thou shalt do unto me and to the land wherein that thou hast sojourned. Abimelech comes, and you know what he's asking Abraham to do? He says, Abraham, don't deal falsely with me again. Abraham had lied to Abimelech before, remember? There was a great curse placed upon Abimelech's family, upon his home, because of what Abraham had done. But now, I, uh, now uh, Isaac has been born. Abraham, in a sense, is, by God's grace, has righted the ship of his life. And, and God is blessed. And Abimelech says, listen, Abraham... I don't want you to come against me. I don't want you to come out here and destroy me. I don't want you to, to deal falsely with me. You know what he's asking Abraham to do? Be a man of integrity. Church, you know what the world needs? It needs for God's people to be a people of integrity. Does, does that word, is it indicative of your life? Integrity. You know, there, there are many failures of our lives. I'm not, claim, I'm not standing here this morning claiming perfection. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. But by God's grace, you and I can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Look what the Bible says back in chapter 20. It's interesting that the word integrity is found 16 times in the Old Testament. And the first occurrence is is how Abimelech describes his life. Let me ask you a question. Is it, is it right or is it wrong for the world to live more righteously than God's people? It's wrong, isn't it? You and I, we're not, we're not saved by good works. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8, 9, and 10, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You and I are saved to live right, and God gives us the grace to live right. You know, we, we consider everything that Abraham had done, but Abimelech says that, that he did all of this in the integrity of his own heart. He says, uh, it says, but God came, verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, Behold, thou art a, but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she, uh, and she even she herself said, he is my brother. And notice in verse 5, he says, In the integrity of my heart 
in innocency of my hands have I done this. He claimed to be a man of integrity. You know, I pray that God would help me be a man of integrity. You know, we see the word integrity described of, uh, of, of King David. We see the word integrity describing the life of Job, both before, during, and after the hardship he endured. We see that the word is spoken by the psalmist several times, uh, spoken uh, by the psalmist in their prayers and pleas to God. Even Solomon in the book of Proverbs emphasizes the need for integrity about the life of God's people. Webster defines integrity as uprightness of character, honesty, the condition, quality, or state of being undivided. But what does God's word, how does God's word define integrity? Biblically, the word integrity points to completeness and moral innocency and purity. Completeness. Something that is undivided. What must be undivided in my life? I want you to write this down. I believe this will help you. You see, integrity, write this down, integrity is the byproduct of one's single-hearted pursuit of Christ. It is the byproduct of one's single-hearted pursuit of Christ. No one can steal your integrity, but you can forfeit it at any time. When we live lives that are, that are upright, that are good and righteous, they come as a byproduct of us keeping our eyes on the Lord. The Apostle Paul pursued Christ, didn't he? He said, not as if I'd already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after. If I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Is Christ the chief pursuit of your life? The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You cannot be double-minded and live with integrity. You've got to live for Christ alone. Christ must be preeminent, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's our aim, he's our goal, he's our prize. If you and I will live victoriously, we must continue in our integrity, and this comes from looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice the second lesson that we learn. If we will endeavor to live a victorious Christian life, not only will we continue in our integrity, but we will also contend for the faith. We will also contend for the faith. Look back in Genesis chapter 21 and note what the Bible says beginning in verse number 25. The Bible says, And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it, but today 
So apparently there was something that took place. Abraham had digged this well, and may I tell you, digging a well in the Middle East is not a light task. I remember standing there at the top of Tel Megiddo, and thankfully I was the last person in line. We, we arrived there a little bit later in the day, and the, the, the archaeological site closes at a certain time. And, you know, I, was, I, had, I had been there once, and there were other more eager people than me to, to, to climb down this really long staircase, so I just thought I'd let them go. Well, they get to the bottom of the well. So if you stand there, there is a, a well that is digged, and it is probably, I don't want to exaggerate, but it's, it's deep. It's really deep. And you can see the, the staircase, the ancient staircase that they carved or hewed out in the side as it wrapped around. Thankfully, we didn't have to go down those stairs. They had built a, an, an iron staircase down into the ground. And there's a gate that you could open. You could go down to the source of water. Well, they got down there and the gate was closed. It was locked. You couldn't get in. I said, well, I'm glad I didn't walk all the way down there. But it was a very deep hole. I can't imagine how much effort it would have taken to dig something that immense using hand tools. It's a large undertaking, isn't it? In, in the Word of God, wells are significant. Wells, I believe, represent our faith. They, they produce life. Even the Lord Jesus Christ promises us that, that we will be like a well springing up with life. And Abraham had to contend for his faith. You know, there are, there are people in this world that want to rob you of your faith. Remember, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Abimelech was no different. He was lying, stealing from Abraham, but asked Abraham to treat him better than he was treating him. And the king, of Jer uh, the king of the Philistines did not know that his servants had stolen a well. Come on. Really? Oh, I didn't hear about it. This is the first time hearing of it. Has anybody ever said that to you? Well, I've never heard about this until now. Thanks, man. Thank you for bringing this up. I will correct it, right? You liar. You knew what was going on all along. Wasn't that characteristic of life you know we are warned in the new testament look what the bible says holding your place here in genesis we'll be back look with me if you would to colossians chapter number two colossians chapter number two a verse that we've grown familiar with over the last several months the bible says in verse eight of colossians chapter two we're warned saying beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What does it mean to spoil? Does it mean like the milk has gone sour in your refrigerator? That kind of spoil? The word spoil means to plunder, to steal from you, to take or extract by means of force. My wife and I, we like to go to North Carolina with our family. And we oftentimes will go to, to Oak Island um, because it's not very commercialized and I like to be away from people on vacation, right? I don't want to go stand in line. I don't want to be near anybody. Just leave me alone, right? You feel the same way. 
But in Oak Island, there at the Cape, mouth of the Cape Fear River, that's where the notorious pirate Blackbeard had his hideout. And he would go up and down the eastern seaboard, spoiling ships. That's what the world wants to do to you. Wants to steal from you. The world does not want you to live in victory. The world wants you to live in defeat. That's the only thing the world has to offer. That's why, the, why John writes in 1 John chapter 2, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away with the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's only one person who can give you eternal life, and it's not anyone in the world. It's only the Lord. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But the world wants to, to rob us. You know what the world wants to do? It wants to change your thinking. The world wants you to think like it thinks, because if you think like the world, eventually you will behave like the world. But you and I are called to allow the Lord to transform us through the power of his word. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you can live in, victory, in, in, in victory and honor Christ with your life. The word of God is at the core of it all. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do we obtain the mind of Christ? We obtain the mind of Christ through the word of God. Do you realize the mind of God is his word? Whenever you open your, the word of God, you find out what God is thinking about any given subject. And if we're not careful, instead of contending for the faith, we'll be conformed to the world. I don't want to be conformed. You know, may, may I tell you, to be conformed is an easy thing. Do you know what you have to do in order to be conformed to the world? Nothing. You don't have to do anything. You just sit idly by, and it will happen. It takes great effort on part of God's people to become like Christ. It takes devotion. It's a habitual devotion that must be developed intentionally in our lives. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Well, that's awful fanatical. That's Christianity. That's what the Bible, that's what God intends. God doesn't want just some casual relationship with you. He wants you to be devoted to him. Because isn't he worthy? The Bible says in Jude chapter, or well, there's only one chapter in Jude. But Jude verse 3, habits, right? 
Jude verse 3. Notice what the Bible says there. He writes, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was was, uh, needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered for the saints. Who delivered it to the saints? Christ delivered it to the saints. He died on the cross. He rose in victory from the grave. He offers salvation to all who will come to Him by faith. He's given us His Word. It's once delivered unto the saints. And if we're not careful, it'll be stolen. Do you realize the Word of God does not need to be rewritten? Does not need to be revised? It needs to be reread. You like that? That wasn't original with me. I heard that somewhere. But it's true. Earnestly contend for the faith. Abraham stood there and looked Abimelech in the eye and said, you you stole a well from me. And I want it back. You realize that ground surrendered is hard to regain. It's not impossible to regain. It's hard to regain. Took a great sacrifice on behalf of Abraham. Seven ewe lambs were the cost. Given as a witness that Abraham digged that well. Church, if we're going to live victoriously in this world, we must contend for the faith. But notice lastly, as we look back and Genesis chapter 21. And perhaps this is the greatest truth of all three of these today. The Bible says in verses 33 and 34, he says, And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba. And notice, And called there on the name of the Lord the everlasting God. If you and I will live victoriously, we must call upon the Lord. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be safe from mine enemies. Isn't it strange that we attempt to live in this world without calling upon the Lord? You know what that means to call? The word call means to accost. (laughs) He accosted God. Has anybody ever accosted you? You go to Sam's Club. You walk through the front door and there's people there. Excuse me, sir! Do you have cable? No. What?! I don't have cable. They can't believe it. You don't have cable. This guy doesn't have cable. Right? But they want, they, they want to accost you. They want to approach you. They want to sell you something that they think you need. You realize we have a great need, don't we? And our need can only be met by God. How dare we have the audacity 
to live in the land of the Philistines without calling on the Lord? How can you make it? How can you make it without calling upon the Lord, the everlasting God? Don't you need him? Do you know what Abraham was saying? At the end of this conversation, when Abimelech went his way, when when Phicol returned back to the land of the Philistines, you know what he said? God, I need you. I cannot live here without you. These people are insincere. They're disingenuous. They're not, they don't want me here. They would rather harm me than help me. Lord, I need you. When's the last time you've had a conversation like that with God? We must be a people of prayer. God hears and answers prayer. As we close, I want you to turn with me, please. To Hebrews chapter number 11 once more. And as you turn there, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter number 18 and verse number 1. Jesus says, and the Bible says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. It's easy to faint in the land of the Philistines. But God does not want you to faint. He wants you to be victorious. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You and I are to be a people of prayer. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse number 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Listen, this settles so much of the scientific dispute. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The Bible goes down in verse number 6. He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you and I will live in victory, we must find our victory in Christ. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Abraham called upon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. You know, there's nothing too hard for God. Nothing is ever going to happen to you that God is not aware of. Do you believe that? He's the author and finisher. He knows the end from the beginning. And nothing is too hard for him. He is the only one who can meet our great need. Will you live in victory today? Will you seek God's help to live a life that honors him? Continue in your integrity. Contend for the faith and call upon the Lord. He's worthy to be praised.
with their heads bowed and their eyes closed.